We're starting a, a new series in the, in the church for the next few weeks. Um, so, as you can see, the title of today's message is, is Knowing God. And um, this is going to be good. This is going to be good for all of us to take in, um, just to take in God himself. And I, um, that sounds kind of a, I don't know if it sounds strange, but um, the time that we spend really soaking in the presence of God and spending time in his word with the objective of knowing him is going to be some of the most important time that you ever spend in your life doing anything. And we'll get into it some this morning, but I just want to um, just begin by, by saying that um, let's, take, let's take the next few weeks and, and let it be a time that we really pray over, pray over the messages, pray over, the, pray over our own hearts, and let God recalibrate us, I think. Um, as we spend time with him, as we read the Bible, as we pray, let, to let him recalibrate. And, and because we're, if you have a time with God that you spend, whether it's regular or it's sporadic or wherever, or, so, or wherever somewhere in between, um, when you have time with God, it's very easy to get into a routine. And um, routine is good for a little bit. Um, but then it's got to get, we have to, we have to mix it up a little bit, you know what I mean? So we don't settle into something that where it stops um, performing the function that it's meant to perform. And one of the great things about seeking God is that there's always more of him to know. And so the revelation of God is one of the things that really keeps, keeps us before him because um, the deeper you dig, you know, you realize like, wow, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm learning about God right now is changing me. It's challenging me. It's, it's moving me. And, and while you're realizing that, you're realizing, and, I've, and, and I can do di- and there's farther, there's farther that we can go. There's more that we can discover. And so it becomes the journey of our lives. So I want to encourage you um, as, over the next few weeks to really let it, let it soak and you soak in the presence of God because the Lord wants to do things in us. And so much of it begins with the revelation of himself. So that's a, just kind of a little, little lead-in for us to, to consider and pray as we go to the Lord. So let's go, to, let's go to the Lord together now and pray. Father, thank you for this morning. This is a day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice. And we will be glad in it. There's so much to be thankful for, Lord. I pray you'd help us to get our eyes off ourselves right now. If we're focused in the wrong way. If we're looking at the wrong things, if we're thinking about the wrong things, God, right now I pray in Jesus' name you'd recenter us. Lord, you're our true north, and you're the desire of our hearts, and in you is everything we will ever need. And I want to pray, oh God, that you'd lead us into your presence, Lord, and into your, into your glory, Lord. The, the children of God um, are meant to live in the presence and in the glory of God. And that's our eternal future, and we get to taste of it, Lord here in the earth while we live. And I just pray that you would open up the heavens over this place and release and and pour out grace, Lord God, in this church this morning. I pray that the word of God would accomplish what you send it to do here and that you'd receive praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So knowing God, years ago there was a book by J.I., well, it was written years ago by J.I. Packer, I think with this same title. And um, it's a good book. And in the beginning of the book, in the outset of the book, he talks about um, how he was walking with a friend who was coming under, like, he was experienced, I think he might have been in, in, a, in, like, in, an, in a role in a, in a university or something like that. 
and his friend had been brought before the council of leaders, and he was coming under heavy scrutiny for things he'd done, things he'd said. And it was just difference of opinion. It wasn't sin. It was difference of opinion. And he had really been just treated with, you know, a lot of scathing remarks and all these other things by this council of leaders. And he was walking with the author and talking with him. And, and the man made a remark that impacted uh, J.I. Packer and caused him to write the book and it inspired, in part, the writing of the book. But he said, he said, it doesn't matter. This is what the guy, his conclusion from it was. He said, it doesn't matter what they say, what they think. He said, he said, because I have known God and they have not. And that, for a person to say that, immediately I think strikes us as, well, that's pretty arrogant. Who's he to say that? Who's he to say that? But I think if you saw, and I'm not saying this is the exact same thing, but if you, were, if you saw Stephen before the Pharisees, you would say, oh, well, his face was shining like an angel. There might be something going on in his faith. You know, that, and you might say, it'd be fair to say, well, he's known God, and they have not. Jesus, the same way when he was with the Pharisees and with other people who had a knowledge, but not the, the real knowledge, not the true knowledge. And um, so it, it, it matters very much that you and I are able to say with confidence that we have known God and that we are getting to know God. Look with me at Jeremiah 9.23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. So do you have wisdom? I hope you do. And praise God for it. But that's not something that God says we should boast in. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. So do you have might? Do you have strength? Do you have something that's made you strong in life? can be good, but he says, don't boast in that. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Have you been able to obtain wealth in this world? Have you been successful? Well, that could be good, but don't boast in it. What does God say? But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things declares the Lord. So look at that. God says, don't boast. These are all the things that we're tempted to boast in, by the way, in some form or another. And God says, don't boast in any of those things. There's, a, there's one boast that's worth boasting in, and it's the most incredible thing of all, the most, in some ways, confounding statement of the whole passage, that God says, you should boast that you know and understand me. Now, immediately, if you read that, and if you know anything about God, something in you goes, uh, I feel like he's setting us up here. Because God is immense and immeasurable. And in the purest sense of what your brain can contain in terms of information, he is unknowable in totality. The vastness of God, he is so far beyond us, it's impossible for us to ever comprehend all of his greatness. And God says, yet, here's what I want you to boast in, that you've known and understood me. So I want to tell you, this is what I believe God is doing. I believe what he's doing is he's giving us our life's work. He's saying, I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to let you. In one place in the scriptures, he says, 
they will seek after me, and I will let them know me. So God's going to let us know him. And there's a relational, the word know is a relational word. It's a word that means relationally know, to have interaction with. And then understand is a comprehension word, of course. It's a word that means not only am I having this kind of relational knowing with God where we're interacting with each other, and I'm coming to understand or coming to know God in that way. Also, I'm starting to pick up on some regular things about God. And God said, just, I mean, this is just a little sampling. This is not the only things. But he said that this is what, he said, I want them to boast that they know this. For example, that I'm the Lord who exercises loving kindness. God says, this is what I do. You you will find me exercising loving kindness all the time. God says justice. He exercises justice. You know that God loves justice and that he hates injustice every place that he sees it? Do you know that about God? Well, God wants you to know that about him. What about righteousness, that he exercises righteousness? God has done a lot of things, even down through Scripture, where we read them and we go, whoa, did God just do that? And yet, he has never done anything unrighteous. He always exercises righteousness, and he wants you to know that about him. And so while you have this knowing, this interactive relationship with God, you're learning some things about who he is and what he's like. And um, he says, I want you to know all these things about me and that I delight in these things. And God tells us that he delights in these things because, guess what? He wants to see the same things in you. And where, as people under law, of course, went down through the years trying to keep, keep the rules, and you know what I mean? People set out and try, try to get it right, you know what I mean, and failing all the time, and coming under condemnation, and all this stuff. And God was always looking forward to a future day. And this is what I was just kind of preaching on the past several weeks, but that always God's objective was that he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put my whole spirit in them, because I want them to succeed. I don't want them to fail anymore. I want them to come out of the place they've been. They can't attain righteousness on their own, so I'm going to buy it for them at a very high price. I'm going to pay for a whole new basis of relationship through the blood of my son. And then where they have failed and failed and failed, have been under condemnation and struggled, I'm going to put my spirit in them. And now the things that I want, they're going to want as they submit to my spirit. They're going to want what I want. They're going to love what I love. And when they see something that I hate, there's going to be a fire in them that's going to hate what I hate. And I'm going to make them my people. And I'm going to be their God. And that was always his desire from the beginning. And you and I are living in the fulfillment of that. Isn't that so incredible? There's a great, there's lots of times, you know, I thought many times when I was a younger man, I thought, I wish I would have lived back when people fought with swords. Because I thought that was super cool. I was way into it. My wife bought me a, a Celtic war sword for either my birthday or our anniversary or something. And this thing was awesome. You'd hold it, you know, and walk around. And you just felt like something amazing. And then you thought about it just for a second. But yeah, but what if somebody else had one too? And then you realize, okay, I'll put this thing away. <clears throat> um, but I'm glad I live in the new covenant. I'm glad I live when God wanted me to live. I'm glad he put me in the earth in this time. Because I don't know what it would have been like to live always looking forward and dying in faith. You know what I mean? Always looking forward and dying in faith. 
which many of the patriarchs did, but many did not. Many failed. Many, many of them just fell apart. Everything broke down. They couldn't hold on to hope. But you and I live in the days where the promises are fulfilled. And God wants us to know him. And never has he been more knowable than he is right now. Never has he been more eager to reveal himself. He's always wanted his people to know him. He always has. But the price has been paid. And now his spirit is in us. And he's all around us. We've got this book, which you should never, ever, ever, ever take for granted. What, this, is, this is the revelation of God, the revelation of himself in a book. Unbelievable that, he, that we have this in our hands, in our language. In any translation, you feel like, you know, you can, it helps you understand it. You could, I mean, there's so many options, but God has made, he's done everything. He's done everything for us to know him. And I just want to say to you, if God says there's only one thing worth boasting in, then we have to know him no matter what the cost no matter what the cost. And so if we don't know God today or we haven't been coming to know God, it's not because he's not willing. It's because there's something, some price that we have said in our own lives, I'm not willing to pay it. And we've drawn the line and said, I'm going to live right here. I'm gonna, this is where I'm comfortable living. And so I want to just say that if you're on that journey of knowing God, the road is hard sometimes. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we feel like, I haven't really discovered anything new about God in a while, or I, or, I have any, or I don't marvel like I used to marvel, or we have these other kinds of things where it was just, and I just want to say to you, it's just human nature. You're living in a broken, in a broken world where, where sin is at work and all these other things. You've, we've talked about, you know, you guys know the law of diminishing returns, and unfortunately there's an aspect in which that's true of our knowledge of God, that the thing that once excited me about God I become comfortable with because I have a nature of sin that's breaking things down all the time. And so what I want to say is to, is to know, in one place in Isaiah I think it is, it says, know, let us, he said, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. So, so which is it? And of course, the answer is both. Let us know what we know, but let us press on to know more. Let us press on to know God and let God revive things that have died in you. Do you know what I mean? There's seasons where God, he'll pick kind of one thing about his character and you'll just live in that for a while. Right. Holiness, two years, here we go. That's right. Two years, holiness. And all the time you're going, I think he wants me to be holy too. And that's really what I'm scared of. Because holy means other. Holy means nothing like anything else that exists, and that's what God is. And then he says, and through Peter, he says, in the, or it was written in the Old Testament, Peter quoted it, but he said, he said, be holy, for I am holy. Because always, when you find out something about God, he, you have to immediately recognize that that revelation is a boomerang. That's right. And he wants you to know it, because he wants you to become it. But he's going to help you do it. He's not, you know, he's not leaving you to yourself. You, know, you become holy and do it in your own strength and good luck. No, he's going to put in you what the Bible calls the spirit of holiness, otherwise known as the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the spirit of holiness who's going to make you holy like God is holy. Because he wants you to know him and he wants you to have his, your heart or his heart in you. <clears throat> the highest knowledge that anyone can attain is the knowledge of God. And God wants to be known. So this is what we have to settle in our hearts. The highest knowledge that anyone can attain is the knowledge of God. 
And God wants to be known. He wants you to know him. There's one place in Isaiah where, where, uh, where he writes, he says, he says uh, Surely you are a God who hides himself, O Lord and Savior, or O God of Israel, Savior. So all in one breath, he's saying, you hide yourself, but you're also our God and our Savior. <laughs> and I think, the, I think the point of the exclamation that you're hiding yourself is he knows that God's heart is to reveal himself. So he says, surely I understand what's going on. You're a powerful God. You're our God. We know what you've done. We've seen your works. And you've been a Savior to us. So the reason we don't see you now is you're hiding. So pull back the veil and let us see what you've been working on. Pull back the veil and let us see who you are. That's, I believe, is what really is the driving force behind even a prayer like that. It's like, the reason I don't see God is he's hiding himself. The Bible says God clothes himself in blackest darkness. And yet, we also know, the Bible says, that God dwells in unapproachable light. So, the only way to hide unapproachable light is to clothe it in blackest darkness. But why would God do that? And the answer, in part, is that he wants to know who really wants to know him. He's calling us, and he's saying, so you're in darkness right now? Well, what if you're in the outer fringes of my glory? Right now, you can't see anything. You said you were going to seek God, and where'd you end up? You ended up in a thick fog where you could see nothing you felt. Well, what if you changed your perspective just a little and recognized that he's a God who hides himself because he wants to know who wants to know him? And if you will press it and say, even so, I'm marching forward. Even so, even though it's dark right now, I believe there's light and there's glory if I'll just keep pressing forward. Then you will press through and you'll see what, you know, the light at the end of the, whatever you want to call it, not the tunnel. But um, the light on the other side, you'll begin to see the glory of God. First at a distance, and then you will behold with your waking eyes the glory of God. And he wants that for you now, and you're going to see it with your actual waking eyes on the other side when you pass through death, the last foe to be defeated and pass into eternity. You're going to see him. And just as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, now we see through a glass, but darkly. So the most we can see now is kind of through like, like tinted glass. It's the most we can see. But I'll tell you what, it's quite a lot. There's quite a lot you can see. But it says, then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. You think about what it's like to be God versus us. You know what I mean? God knows you in an instant, instantly. He looks at your heart and goes, got it. (laughs) We look at God and we go, I can't take it. It's more than I can bear. One little piece. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to have to hide you and you can see my back. That's all you get. Because any more than that is entirely too much. That's what God is like. So you settle at first that God knows you fully. So there's no surprises with God. You can always come to him. Be perfectly honest. There's no point in hiding anything. He knew it all in a second. Less than a second. He knew it all. And now it's you in his presence. No point in hiding. Come into the light and seek to know God. Because he wants to show you what he's like. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So to, to, to begin to have wisdom, to begin to even know God, there's an element of fear. There's the element of recognizing his, his eternal glory and greatness. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The knowledge of the Holy One is 
understanding. When Jesus was cracking down on the Pharisees in one of their famous exchanges, he said, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you take away the key to knowledge. And what were they doing? They were demonstrating hypocrisy. They were demonstrating that, first of all, they didn't have any fear of God. But they were keeping people from entering into the kingdom of God. Because God, he knew that if people would come to really know him, what he was really like, he delights in justice, he delights in righteousness, and all these other things, which those people did not. And they were creating a false concept of what it was to follow God. They were keeping people from the kingdom of God. Because the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Every other kind of understanding is unlocked when you seek to know God. And go back and look at the foundations of even like our Ivy League schools. Go back and look and see. They were pretty much, in some ways, almost seminaries, if not full seminaries when they got started. They were, they were theological institutions because the foundation of knowledge is the knowledge of God. If you dispense with God created everything and God made man in his image and so on as the basis of knowledge, then knowledge breaks down immediately. All the subsequent conclusions are broken and eventually they're totally wrong. If you get rid of the foundation of the knowledge of God that his word is true, that he's reliable, that he doesn't lie. And even if the things he say, says to, in his word seem far-fetched and hard to believe, that's just because he's infinitely greater than us. That's the foundation of all knowledge, is to accept, even if it's difficult, the truth about God. And God says the greatest thing that we could boast about in life is that we know and understand him. And God tells us in this passage, in this, these verses, a couple of verses that we just read, how it is that we can come to know him and what things too often hold us back. So I want to walk you through just some practically, how is it that we should seek God to know him? And um, I want, I'm hoping that it'll be an encouragement to you and to help you, if in any way I can, um, to really begin to press in to God in a way that will lead to the knowledge of him. So I'll give you this in steps. Step one, cast aside every hindrance. You have not known God because walking in the flesh has filled your life with idols. Did I state that plainly enough? I was trying to state it plainly because I was looking at this and I was going, this is the truth of the matter. If I have to really strip it all away and say, here's the core, the reason I have not known God to the degree that I would like to is I have walked so much in the flesh. And, while I, and when I make major decisions while I'm walking in the flesh, I fill my life with idols. Yeah. But what did God say? to the, He said, don't, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. When a man walks in the flesh, he boasts of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his strength when a man becomes self-centered and focused on the things that make him appear strong in the natural sense. He's in the flesh, walking under the influence of his sinful nature rather than the spirit of God. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. If I think riches or money makes me something, I'm in the flesh. If I only want while I live the things that money can buy me, I'm in the flesh. And if those things are my aspirations, if those are the things that really drive me, if that's what gets me out of bed in the morning and moves me through the day, well, my life is full of idols and I can't possibly know God because there are a thousand things in between me and him. He said, have, you shall have in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. So God is saying, if you want to know me, 
you've got to seek me first. If you want to know me, you have to seek me first. You have to make me the most important thing. You have to forsake every other pursuit for the knowledge of God. Now, that doesn't mean quit your job, right? Like, I've just been pursuing money. I'm calling my boss. (laughs) That's not the point. Because you have a whole life to live where God needs to be first. He needs to be first in your job. He needs to be first in your marriage and in your family. He needs to be first everywhere. So so it's not about riches or might or wisdom. God would probably like to give you all three in some sense or another. But, But what I'm trying to say is that you make those things first, then they are standing between you and God. In Galatians 5.16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And what does it say? You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. This means that you and I have to be very active and intentional about walking by the Spirit. And and it's, it's like we want, we always want something else. You know what I mean? God says, walk by the Spirit. And we say, well, I'm just going to pray until I start walking by the Spirit. I'm going to ask God to, 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 to make me walk by the Spirit. Well, he's not going to make you. He'll help you, but he's not going to make you. To walk by the Spirit means you make a series of choices. There's a series of choices that you make where you lay down selfish desire and you take up his desire. And one step after another, Oswald Chambers is big on this. He says, you don't, he says he's like, you don't, you don't pray your way into holiness. You obey your way into holiness. And he's not saying prayer is not a part of it. His point is that you have, he said, you've got to, if you're praying about stuff, God's going to speak to you. And as you work those things out, as you work out your salvation, you change. And that's that's kind of the point. So he says, walk by the spirit and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. So you're going to be tempted to carry out the desire of the flesh. So you make a decision in that moment and you say, by the grace of God, I'm not going to walk in that because it's not righteous. I'm going to walk in this instead. I'm going to walk in purity and in holiness. I'm going to flee temptation rather than succumb to it. I'm going to walk away. When I'm getting the offer of a greater income, but it's going to require me to disobey and break God's law and do unethical things to get the money, I'm going to say no to the money. Or I'll stay, take a stand for what's right. I'll say, I'm not going to do the wrong thing. If you want to give me the promotion, I'll take the job, but I will not lie or cheat or steal to promote anything within this company. And so you do the right things. You walk by the Spirit. And you don't let the things of the flesh get a hold of you because the Bible says the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. The flesh is fighting against whatever the flesh wants. God probably wants more or less the opposite in that moment. And the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So we are are people at war with ourselves. (laughs) But if you want to know God, you've got to fight the fight. Walk in the truth and live in the light. Because the Lord wants to, he wants to reveal himself to you, but he's got to be first. And that means every single idol has got to be pulled down from its stand, from its place in your life. Pulled down, cast down, cast into the fire and burned. And he's got to be the central thing and the first thing. So God desires to be known, but seeking wisdom, strength, or riches first will keep us from knowing him. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. That's a person who sought wisdom for wisdom's sake, and it puffed them up. What, and, when the, and when we're seeking wisdom first, it, <laughs> it, it brings about 
in, with clarity for us, or, or I guess I should say the way <laughs> when we seek wisdom for wisdom's sake, it feeds our pride of knowledge. We want praise for insights. We want to lean on our own understanding instead of having to pray and ask God for understanding. So God's saying, lay all that down and walk with me. Habakkuk 11, in the second part of the verse says, but they will be held guilty whose strength is their God. And you think about what the pursuit of strength really, really bolsters in our lives. is the idol of self. It's about self-image. It's about self-esteem and self-reliance. When I seek those things first, it keeps me from knowing God. 1 Timothy 1, 6, 9, and 10 on the matter of riches. It says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. That's pursuing riches for riches' sake. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we have to be very honest and real about why we want what we want. And then we got to submit those things to God and say, purify my heart, purify my motives, because I think my motive is broken. And then if the thing you're desiring is good, let God give you the right motive and then seek it in the right, with the right motivation and seek and look for ways that God can be glorified. <clears throat> and as you seek him in the first place, you come to know him. And Daniel 11.32 says, But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. You see that? So it's a total shift. It's a changing of your character, what you become through knowing God. You say, well, I want, you seek strength for strength's sake, you lose everything. You seek God to know him, he says, I'll give you strength. And it'll be real. Because it'll flow out of your character because you're seeking to know me and when the things I revealed to you get worked in you. And taking action, he says, this is what people who really know God are going to do. They're going to be action people, you know. And what is faith? Faith is faith without what? Faith without works is dead. So we become a people who practice our faith. We work it out. So, so knowing God really feeds the most important things, the things that matter most, and it transforms our lives from the inside out. So step one is to get rid of every hindrance. Let God show you what stands between you and him and cast those things aside. And you can do that in a time of prayer, you'll probably have to lay them down frequently because they'll try to rear, rear their heads and try to get a hold of your heart again, but lay them down. Step two is this simple thing, focus. Focus. You remember when Jesus was in the house of, uh, house of Lazarus and his sisters, uh, Martha, Mary and Martha, and um, Mary was sitting at his feet listening to his words. Mary was getting to know Jesus. Martha knew there was a whole bunch of work that had to be done, and she was stuck doing it because Mary, who was being lazy in her view, was sitting down by Jesus, hanging on his every word. And she went to Jesus going, Jesus will back me on this for sure. She had to think that. And she said, she said, she said Lord, there's all this work that's got to be done, and she's not helping. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha. He said, there, he said, always, there's a bunch of things that need to be done. Always going to be a lot of things that need to be done. He said, but only one thing is needful. In other words, only one thing is essential. And he pointed at her sister Mary, and he said, she has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. 
Think about that. How unsupported did Martha feel in that exact moment? But what was she really supposed to do? She was supposed to recognize, I should be over there, not over here. You think, you know, Jesus is sitting in your living room. You know what I mean? You and I have Bibles and places we could go to pray, and we don't use it. So much to be done, we say. So much to be done, I haven't got time to sit down in a quiet place and read the Bible and ask God to show me who he is. And I haven't got time to pray. Because I've got to get off to work, you see. People, we know I need to sleep so many hours. If I don't get my sleep, you know what happens to everyone around me. My beauty rest. You know, whatever it is. And so we, we have all of our reasons that we can't. And Jesus is all the time saying there's only one thing that matters. And everybody who chooses it, it will never be taken from them. You know what I mean? If your life circumstances have taken your quiet time, Jesus didn't do that. I want you to say that, I want, I want you to understand, he, he wants you to find a way to rework. Your, your priorities determine your schedule, don't they? Or at least they should. So what are your priorities? You know what I mean? So it's like, well, if my priority is to always get a certain number of hours of sleep, well, you may not be able to have very much time with God. But what if you were to say, I'm going to give up that sleep as a sacrifice. I'm going to make some coffee, and I'm going to spend some time with Jesus before I go to work, because that's what I have to do. Because if I don't know God, I don't know anything. If I don't have a close relationship with him, I don't have anything. And what if you really actually took literally what Jesus said about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And what if you really actually trusted him that he meant what he said when he said everything else would be added to you if you just put him first? So focus. Let your life be simple. Let it be about the one thing. To know God, we have to give our undivided attention to him in the word and in prayer on a daily basis. And if we say, well, I don't know how. Uh, let me give you some simple things. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, when, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So here's the first step. Are you ready for this? So first, we get rid of everything. Get rid of every distraction, every other thing. Then we take a look at our priorities, and we say, is my life focused on the glory of God? Am I focused on knowing God as a first priority in my life? If so, I need to do something to cultivate that. So what am I going to do? Well, Jesus told us what to do. So here it is. Find a quiet place with an actual door you can shut, if that's possible. Or a place where you will not be disturbed, and then you consecrate that place to the Lord. It can be your desk in your office. It can be a a, a literal closet. There were years I've prayed in my closets. I've prayed in my garage. I pray in the woods. I do that today. I pray in the yard. You know what I mean? It's like you just wherever you are. It's like this is where I go because I have to go where I I don't think I'm going to be disturbed. And sometimes the, the way you can determine that you won't be disturbed is simply by changing the time that you do something. You just say, well, if I get up at 5 o'clock, nobody's up at 5 o'clock. And there's a lot of quiet to be found at 5 o'clock, isn't there? And sometimes it's your own quiet because you fell asleep. And that happens. You know, I've fallen asleep praying so many times. It's ridiculous to the point that I walk and pray these days in my old age. When, like, You know how they talk about when you get older, like you can, you can sleep anywhere? It's true. It really is true. It's like if I need to catch a quick 20, I can do that just about anywhere. 
And it's really, I feel like it's a gift. But anyways, the, but that's a bad thing when you're trying to pray and you only have 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, got, I have things I've got to do in the sequence of life. It's all this. So, but if you can change the time, find a time where it's quiet. Go find a quiet place and be with Jesus. Can you do that today? Could you do that first thing tomorrow? Could you start that this afternoon or tomorrow? Could you do that? I think you could. I think everyone could. Because Jesus is not asking something of us that's unreasonable. He said, go to the inner room. Have you got one of those? Have you got a basement? Have you got a room with nothing in it or a bunch of stuff in it where you could clear out a corner? Have you got a closet? Have you got anything like that? Well, what is it, could you go in there and shut the door? Do you think you could pray to your Father in heaven? Well, then you're off to, the right, to a good start because that's what he says is necessary. So, but then when you get there, consecrate it to the Lord. You know what I mean? You, it might be a multi-purpose space. It might be your desk where you work. But you just take some time and you just pray over it and say, this is the space, Lord, and this is where I want to meet with you. Will you meet with me here? And he's so eager to meet with you. He really is. Consecrate the space and say, this time, this place is where I meet with God. So we start with that. Before you read the Bible, this is the next thing. Before you read the Bible, because we say, okay, I'm going to do it. And we open the Bible and we just start reading. I want to encourage you to do something before you read the Bible. And that's this, to ask God the Holy Spirit to give you revelation and understanding. Before you ever open it. You know, we tell you, he, said, he said wisdom. He said these guys who, who seek wisdom and they, and they rely on their wisdom. Well, I'm not going to rely on my, on my ability to understand the Bible. I'm going to start like a, like a student of a disciple of a master. I'm going to start like a child of a father. And I'm going to say, I don't understand your book, but I want to. So will you give me wisdom and will you give me understanding? You wrote it. If I could get, you know, the best way to understand any book is get with the author. What do you mean by that? Where'd you get that idea? Where'd that come from? And you'll understand where the book came from, piece by piece. Ask God the Holy Spirit to give you revelation and understanding. Two sample prayers, Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Your law, the law of God, we could take to mean the whole word of God. But how many people have stumbled through the Old Testament and just went like, oh, this is hard stuff. This is hard to read. Well, what if you ask God this when you were reading the same difficult passages from the Old Testament? Would you show me? Look what David said. He, wouldn't, he didn't say, like, help me just get through your law. He said, show me wonderful things from your law. I think it was Philip Yancey years ago wrote a book called, uh, called the, the Bible Jesus Read or something like that. And the point was, Jesus only had the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul had the Old Testament, you know what I mean? And we say, well, I only read the New Testament. And that's because the truth is because the jewels are laying on the surface of the ground of the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, they're under the surface. So I like the mining process, personally. I like the digging. It makes me quite happy to go, this passage seems to have no purpose. So I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to scrape away another layer and see if there's anything underneath there. And that's where most of the, the immense revelations and the big things, a lot of the life-changing things have happened for me in the Old Testament. And then they've got a hundred direct lines to the New Testament. Because that's it's the same God, same ultimate heart, same message that's coming through the entire book. Another verse, Psalm 119, 169. Let my cry come before you, O God. Give me understanding, 
according to your word. So the first one is a prayer for revelation. Show me wonderful things. The second one is a prayer for understanding. And help me to understand it. Help me to get it. Give me understanding according to your word. So before you open the Bible, pray. I used to have those two verses written on cards and taped to my desk. And I'd pray them every time before I read the Bible. At this point, I know these prayers by heart. And I, I, um, they're in me. They're in me all the time as I go to the word of God. But I want to encourage you to pray before you read. Let God open your eyes. <clears throat> Next thing, and this is still related to the Bible, because the Bible is key to the revelation of God. Focus on God in your Bible reading. We're still on focus, by the way. We're on step two. Focus. Focus on God in your Bible reading. He's revealing himself all the time. So just open your eyes and see. Jeremiah 9.24, the one we read just a minute ago, he says, let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. What is God like? If you really wanted to know, if that was your heart, as you go to the Bible, what do you want? What do you want to get out of it? Well, make the knowledge of God the first desire of your heart. I want to know God. I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to get up here and preach most weeks. If I, but I want to tell you something. If I read the Bible to get messages, God, would, I think, would stop giving me messages. I think he would shut the fountain off because, because that's not the right motive. It really matters why we read and what we're seeking. So when I read the Bible, I, I, can, I don't come and say, Lord, I'm a teacher in my church, and I, I'd like some fresh insight that will wow the people. And God would say, uh, see you later. He resists the proud. I don't bring my credentials to God. What good would that do? No, I come, I'm, like I said, I come as a disciple. I come as a child. I come the very same way that any of you or anybody else would come. And I say, God, I want to know Jesus. And he shows me, he helps me to understand him, and he helps me to know Jesus. And he also makes sure that I always know what I'm supposed to be preaching on in the church, because that's the byproduct of, of knowing him. It's the byproduct of seeking him first. And... Um, rarely do I not know what I should preach on. I, can, I go back 10 years. I can ha- rarely has there been even one week I wasn't absolutely sure that I knew what I was supposed to preach on. And I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying that's what happens if you seek God first. Then the word of God is alive in you. And that living word in you connects with the spiritual realities all around you so that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God is releasing his word through you. That's the objective, right? That's not just for pastors and teachers and preachers. That's for Christians generally. The word of God to be released through us so that his word is going out in the world every place that we are. But if I wanted to know what God was like, I would know just from this one verse that he exercises loving kindness, which means he's loving and he's kind. If I wanted to know what God was like, I would know that he loves justice. God is just. He's a righteous judge. I could know that just from this one verse. I could also know righteous. he delights in exercising righteousness on the earth. So God is righteous, and he's never unrighteous. I can know that about God, and I can know that he wants that in my life too. He says he delights in these things. So we can know a lot about God. And if you can do, if you want to do a search, if you use a Bible search tool of any kind, an app or anything, you can just search delight, the word delight, and you'll find the things that God delights in. And if these things, you know, the Lord says, I delight in these things or whatever, or these things, you know, there's a lot of different phrases you can search. But you can learn a lot about God by what he delights in. On the other hand, 
You can learn about, a lot about God by what he hates to try to understand his heart. You know, and I'm going to the polls because that's where you need to be, delight and hatred. Because, but those are also the words that God has used. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, this is strong, that are an abomination to him. Do I, so before we even get into the list of six or seven things, do I want anything that's in this list to be in my life? I would like a, a firm no. You know, I don't feel really good about a firm no. I do not want anything in this list to be in my life. Well, let's see what it is. Haughty eyes, that means a proud look. Looking down on other people, using your eyes, you know what I mean. A lying tongue. How much lying should there be in my life? Zero. Well, there's a father of lies, isn't there? And I don't want anything to do with that kingdom. And hands that shed innocent blood. And we say, oh good, I'm in the clear. I've never killed anybody. Have you ever let somebody else pay the price for something you did and you just didn't speak up? Same thing. Same spirit, anyways. A heart that devises wicked plans. God hates a heart that plans to do wickedness. What about feet that run rapidly to evil? Here's an opportunity to do some evil. You guys have seen all the videos. Somebody breaks the window out in a store and runs in and takes something. And what happens right after? 150 people rush into the store and take something. You, do you know that it's in you by the nature of sin? to follow suit and to get pulled into the tide of evil if you don't have something else at work in you that's stronger? You and I, our feet could run to evil just as quickly. You, we just don't know because we've never been tested. So we've got to walk with God so that we run from evil rather than to it because we will be tested in some way, shape, or form. But, but God hates feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. This is somebody on the stand lying to get an innocent person condemned. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And every time it happens, God hates it and it's an abomination to him. Why? Because, well, we just read about God. He's righteous. He's perfectly righteous and he loves justice. So, of course, he hates these things. <clears throat> and one who spreads strife among brothers. God hates strife among brothers, and he cannot stand it when a person makes it their objective to divide people and split their relationships, talk about them behind their back, get people thinking, and to prejudge. Prejudice is prejudgment, to judge in advance. They don't get a chance because you've already told them what to think about that person. Strife among brothers. Who's the accuser of the brethren? It's Satan, right? We know that. So we don't want anything to do with that kingdom. God hates those things. It tells us a lot about God. So you can search these phrases, the Lord hates, you can search abomination and find out what God hates and you'll be getting to know God in rapid succession, find out what he's like. So what does God love and delight in? What does he hate and despise? These things reveal his unchanging nature to me. And as I, and as I go through the Bible this way with this heart and this attitude, I'm getting to know God. I really am. So now we're ready for the application of this highest knowledge. Looking to Jesus, we learn to live as God is in this world. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It comes from this verse, 1 John four seventeen. It says, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. By this love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Do you think about the day of judgment? 
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the, the beginning of the fear of God is to comprehend the judgment, I believe, in many ways. To consider that one day, though I have been bought with the blood of Christ, I still will give an account to God for all of my deeds. And at the end of the judgment, I will be forgiven, but I will, be, I will comprehend fully what forgiveness means. And so, he says, we may have confidence in the day of judgment. How? Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We also live just as Jesus is in this world. <clears throat> so that's a lot, isn't it? And so are you realizing your need for a more passionate love for him? Are you realizing that? I hope you are, because that's what I want to stir up in the church today. That's what I want stirred up in me. I want to know I need a more passionate love for him. I got to pursue him with a greater fervor. I need a fire lit under me because I've been letting life just go by. And I'm, not, and I'm not growing in the knowledge of God, and I have to grow in the knowledge of God. If life's going to change, if things are going to move in the right direction, I have to know God. So I want to give you something. This is also practical and simple. This is something, a road, this is a path that God led me down, and I think it would be beneficial for anyone to do it. But live in the Gospels for a long while. Open up to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them slowly and read them again. And then read them again. And all the while, while you're reading the Gospels, let your prayer be, God, reveal Jesus to me. I want to marvel at him. You got to know. And how are we going to know God? We're going to know God by seeing Jesus. John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. That's the fullness. You could never behold God fully. The only begotten God, that's Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That verse is powerful to me. Jesus is the Rosetta Stone. If you want to know what God is, here's the interpretation. What do you see in Jesus? That's who God is. That's what God is like. So when I watch Jesus interacting with the Pharisees, well, I'm learning things about God. I'm learning about his heart, his attitude. What does he love? What does he hate? I'm learning these things about God while I watch Jesus. I watch Jesus forgiving and I watch healing I watch Jesus healing, and I'm learning that God, is a, he desires to set people free. That's what he's like. He's full of compassion, and he wants to see people set at liberty. I watch Jesus driving out demons, and I realize the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of darkness, and our God reigns over the kingdom of light. And I realize that he has great and tremendous power that all the forces of darkness must obey him. So I'm learning. I'm learning things about God while I'm watching Jesus. I see Jesus suffering and dying in my place. And I realize there's humility in the character of God, that he would humble himself to this degree. God is humble. You realize he's sacrificial in his love. God is like that, that he's compassionate, that he's kind, that he's long-suffering, that God's all these things. I'm learning about God while I'm watching Jesus suffering and dying for my sake, that he's not holding our sins against us. He's making a way for us to be forgiven. That's what God is like. I see Jesus rising and I see Jesus ascending. I see him conquering death and taking with him a host of captives into eternal glory. And you say, you know, Jesus is incredible. The power of God is immense and there is nobody, there is no one like our God. And it becomes just 
a revelation that moves your heart and you say, oh, praise God, isn't it good to be on the winning team? Look who we're with. We are with the true and living God and his son Jesus has conquered everything. And God is being revealed to us while we watch Jesus. Let's stand up together. So you might need to do that. You might need to live in the Gospels for a while. And let, let Jesus, let a love for Jesus displace the idols of your heart, by the way. The things we're tempted to love more than him. Let, the, let, the love, let a love for Jesus displace everything else. In Luke 6.40, this is the encouragement that we have as we seek to know God. A pupil is not above his teacher. That's a fact. We're never going to ascend to a higher plane. But everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. So if you're looking to God as your example, you're looking to the life of Jesus to know God, then his character, his life is flowing into you and being worked in you and you are changing. And, one, and as the days go on, we're able to say, you know what, I'm not where I'm going to be, but I'm not where I was either. And I am changing and being changed from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus, who I love and who loves me. And I am knowing God. And that's our life. And it's a beautiful life with a glorious end. Lord, we honor you and thank you. Reveal yourself, I pray, to your people. Open our eyes to see and stir in us, O oh God, a hunger and a fire. Lord, to know you and then to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.